We are concluding uh, a series that we've called What to Wear, and uh, this series has been focused on what the New Testament calls the armor of God, the armor of God. Because here's the thing, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus has invited you to live fully and freely in him. He's invited you into a life of freedom and fullness in his person. Uh, but not only has Jesus invited us to live in freedom and in fullness, but Jesus has invited us to be part of carrying the offer and the hope and the invitation of freedom and fullness for those who are caught behind enemy lines, those who do not yet know Jesus or who might know him but aren't living in the freedom and the fullness that he comes to offer. But here's the problem. That as we as a church long to step into the freedom and fullness that Jesus offers, and more so as we as a church long to step out and offer the freedom and fullness that Jesus offers the world around us, the devil and his demons get really upset. And as we've seen in this series, we are in a spiritual war because the enemy is bent on doing whatever he can to distance us from God, to distance us from the things he calls us to, to derail us from carrying hope, to derail us from carrying the offer of freedom and fullness to the world around us. And if we are going to thrive, if we are going to find ourselves living in the freedom and fullness that's actually ours, and if we're going to find ourselves offering freedom and fullness, to people who are caught behind enemy lines, those who are living in darkness, in despair, then we're going to need to dress appropriately. We're going to need to wear what the Bible calls the armor of God. Because if we venture out into this world, not dressed for battle, we will find ourselves on the losing end of a battle that Jesus has already won for us. And so we spent some weeks looking at, well, what does it mean to wear the armor of God? What does it mean to be dressed uh, to not only enjoy the freedom and fullness, but to offer that freedom and fullness to the world around us? And I don't know about you, but I want this year to be so much fuller and so much more free for me than last year was. I want this year to be uh, so much more about offering freedom and fullness to those around me. So, um, this morning as we wrap our series, we are going to look at the whole armor of God. Because even though we took it in pieces, uh, Paul says, put on the full armor. And uh, so we're going to spend some time reviewing where we've been and then wrapping up with the last piece the Apostle Paul has for us. So it's going to feel like cramming for a final, but I'm okay with that because we want to ensure that we are uh, part of a church, that we are people who are making the enemy really nervous as he sees us coming, carrying hope and enjoying it while we do. So, um, week number two, we looked at the first piece of armor in Ephesians chapter 6. By the way, if you have a copy of the scriptures, feel free to turn there. Uh, we're going to look um, at the section starting in verse 14. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we'll have the verses up on the screens. Um, and, and if you don't own a Bible, we would love to get the Word of God in your hands. So please, end of service, head to the connection corner, ask one of the smiling faces. They'll be glad to hand one to you. Um, or figure out a way to get one to you as soon as possible. But week number two, we looked at the first um, piece of the armor of God, and it's right there in verse 14. And the first piece we saw in the armor of God is what Paul calls 
the belt of truth. Um, the belt of truth. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, the first part of the verse. Here's what it reads. It says to us, stand firm then. If you're going to enjoy the freedom and the fullness, and if you're going to carry freedom and fullness in the most meaningful of ways, stand firm then, he says, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. Belt of truth. Um, in uh, the Roman soldier's armor, uh, the belt would have been the piece that held the whole thing um, Together, uh, he, would, he would wear this, this leather belt that not only held up the rest of his outfit because it would be super awkward if that thing came falling apart while you're on the battlefield, but it also harnessed his sword. And as such, it ended up being the central piece in the soldier's armor. And similarly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, the belt of truth that we looked at in week two of this series is the piece that holds the whole thing together. The rest of the armor is held up by the belt of truth. If you miss this part, any dream or hope of 2017 being a year of enjoying the freedom that Jesus affords us or offering the freedom meaningfully will come apart before the year even begins. The belt of truth. Um, now to be clear, um, when Paul speaks of truth, he's talking about what God says, period. That's what he means when he says truth. Because there are a lot of facts in this world. There's a lot of accurate information. There are a lot of things that are correct. But Paul's not speaking about accuracy. He's not speaking about correctness. He's saying, what does the word of God say? So, so to, to, to put on the belt of truth means to be governed by the truth of God. It means to live driven by this question. What does God say about it? What does God say about it? The question is not what's popular. It's not about what is legal. Because you and I both know there are things that are legal that God despises. We both know there are things that are correct or culturally acceptable that God does not affirm or endorse. The question that ought to govern my life is not what's scientifically accurate. It's not what's culturally accepted. It's not what's convenient. It's not what's easy. It's not what's lucrative. It's not what's pleasurable. It's not what's most risk-free or drama-free. The question that ought to govern my life, that holds my life together, is what does God say about it? When the primary thing that drives my life is that question. When the primary thing that drives my decision and direction is what God says, I am wearing the belt of truth. And Paul says, that's the first piece, and it's the piece that holds the whole thing together. So listen, if you are deciding how to raise your kids driven by their GPA, 
or driven by what college they might end up in or driven by setting them up so that they can be set up with the you know, most um, ideal spouse. If you're raising your kids driven by what their athletic accomplishments are, you are already losing a battle before you even begin. Because the question that ought to drive the parent who follows Jesus is, what does God say about my kids? What does God dream for my kids? What are God's priorities for my kids? To prioritize anything else is to play into the hands of an enemy who would love to derail us, and he is taking frantic notes to figure out how to take our family down. But if I'm asking the question, what does God say? The rest of it holds together, and we enjoy the fullness and the freedom that God has. If you know what God says about your purity, but you're still in that relationship because it feels right, you are being driven by the wrong question. And you will be derailed in this war. And you find yourself not enjoying the freedom and the fullness that Jesus has for you. If you decide your media consumption by the question, well, what's bothersome to my conscience? Like, what bothers me? You are asking the wrong question. It's not what bothers you. The question is, what does God say about your media choices? If you're deciding how to treat the hurting people in our world based on your political views, you're asking the wrong question. And the enemy will derail you from the things God is calling you to. The belt of truth is driven by one question. What does God say about it? Is that what you are using to determine what matters most to you and to Yours, which means we've got to become increasingly acquainted with what God says. We've got to be a people who are spending time in his word. It's not a mystery what God says about things. I've got to spend time with this book so I can become acquainted with what he says and live driven by his logos. And then we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. Look at the second part of verse 14. Stand firm, it says in the first part. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Um, uh, the Roman soldier in, in the day would wear uh, this protective iron vest to, to guard um, and to safe keep his most vital organs, in particular his heart. And Paul is using that same imagery to speak of us as followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying protect your heart from falling into temptation by wearing righteousness like a breastplate. And, and we talked a little bit about what that means. The idea that putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and this is so counterintuitive, and we're going to see a number of counterintuitive things as we review the armor of God. But putting on the breastplate of righteousness simply means choosing to believe that God already sees me as righteous regardless of how I behave. That's tough for us to embrace. 
But that's what it means to put on the armor, uh, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. It's believing God already sees me as righteous. That when I woke up this morning, before I had any opportunity to impress God with my behavior, he looked at me and saw me as righteous. That last night before I went to bed, after I had many, many slip-ups, of proving that I couldn't measure up in my behavior. God said, good night, and he saw me as righteous. How? We love this verse um, around here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 describes this. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. I love that. That it's not because of my behavior, but because of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That no matter how much I tried, I could never measure up to God's perfect standard of behavior. I was doomed. And so what Jesus did was he subbed in for me. And he lived the perfect life, behaved perfectly in the ways that I couldn't. And not only that, but he took my sinful behavior and he carried it on the cross. And in the most daunting of exchanges, Jesus said, I'll tell you what, you give me your sin and in exchange, I'll give you my righteousness. And so now when God looks at me, what he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. Not because I behaved perfectly but because I believe in Jesus who behaved perfectly on my behalf. And now God looks at me as if I never sinned. Let that sink in and you will find it protecting your heart from temptation. Because of Jesus, God sees me as righteous. That's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's believing that. It means I am learning to turn up the volume on what God says he sees when he looks at me over and above what anybody else may say they see because a bunch of people have a bunch of opinions about what they think of me and how they evaluate my behavior. And worst of all, I would tend to have a bunch of thoughts and opinions about how I feel about myself and how I evaluate myself based on how I think I did in my little streak of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness means I am dialing up the volume on what God God says he sees over what I think I see or what anybody else sees. The breastplate of righteousness. And as I believe what God says he sees when he looks at me, it starts to protect me from the lies and it starts to protect me from temptation. Because again, the enemy doesn't want me to live in the freedom and the fullness that is mine in Jesus Christ. And so he will love to show up to discourage and derail, to remind me of the mistakes I've made. And, and to whisper over and over again, you're not good enough. You messed up again. The breastplate of righteousness looks at the devil and says, I know. And I confess that to him. But he still calls me righteous. And I choose to turn up the volume on what he calls me over what you accuse me of being. The breastplate of righteousness. 
I know I'm not behaving perfectly. But it was never about my behavior. It was always about Jesus' behavior on my behalf. But it doesn't just protect me from the lies the enemy will attempt. You know, what right do you have to carry hope and to carry the gospel when you've messed? I know I've messed up, but I'm not counting on my behavior. I'm counting on Jesus, which, by the way, is why it is so key to be wearing the belt of truth. What does God say about me? Not what anybody else Says, But again, it not only protects me from lies, it protects me from temptation. Um, I love what it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Again, counterintuitive. Look at what it says. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's amazing. See, because I always thought that what's going to help me to stand against temptation, what's going to help me to say no to temptation is a bunch of rules, and it's a bunch of better behavior, and it's a bunch of resolutions, and then enter Paul and say, no, it's actually the grace of God. It's actually what Jesus has already done for you that teaches you to say no to un godliness. It is not by behaving better that you resist temptation. It's by believing more in what Jesus has done. His grace teaches us. And so the breastplate of righteousness doesn't just deflect the lies, but the breastplate also helps me resist temptation. Do you believe God called you righteous? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you woke up this morning, before you had behaved with your church coming to self, like, do you believe that he said you're righteous? That's hard. And even more difficult is, do you believe that on your way from the club, when you had done some things you know God doesn't love, do you believe that he still called you righteous then? Believing that will protect the heart because of what Jesus has done. Do you believe he looks at you and says, I see the Savior all over you? Even when you don't. And then we talked about the sandals of peace. Look at verse 15. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace. And so even if Paul doesn't name sandals, the insinuation is your feet are fitted with um, these sandals that he refers to as uh, the gospel of peace. Um, and again, in that context, the battle, um, you know, would, would rage, and the Roman soldier would wear these heavy sandals, um, that had a bunch of studs underneath them, kind of like these weird Birkenstocks cleats or, or something like that. They would sell like hotcakes um, here in, I don't know if hotcakes would sell here in Warsaw, but whatever. Um, they weren't designed for running in as much as they were designed for grounding 
the soldier. They were designed to fasten the soldier's feet to the earth so that uh, he, he wouldn't slip and slide. He wouldn't flail and fall under the pressure of the battle, that he would be able to stand and dig in. And that's the picture Paul is painting of the follower of Jesus Christ that the gospel of Jesus introduces me to a peace that anchors and grounds me, and it keeps me from slipping and sliding and, and flailing and falling even in the pressure of life, even in the pressure of the battle that I am in the midst of. The gospel of peace. Because in the gospel, I, I realize a, a number of things. I realize in the gospel that I now have peace with God. That God calls me friend. I was once an enemy, but now because of Jesus, God calls me friend. I realize in the gospel that I have the peace of God. Not just peace with God, but I have the peace of God. God offers to fill me with an overwhelming sense of its all good, and I've totally got it. This inner sense of it's okay. Everything is fine. God has got it under control. And that brings an eerie sense of steadiness. Because even though things in the world are unpredictable and things in the world are in upheaval, and in so many ways they are in our day, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't slip in fear. I don't slide in worry because the gospel reminds me that the God who ultimately calls the shots calls me his friend. That brings peace. When I'm in good with the guy in charge, that brings peace. And that's what the gospel reminds me is the case. So even when the latest headline is one of woe and it stirs dread in the world around me, I don't slip into a state of panic because the gospel reminds me I'm held by the one who holds the whole world in his hands. That helps me sleep at night. That brings a sense of peace. That grounds me, makes me steady, even in the midst of all the unsteadiness. The gospel, it causes in me a refusal to be overcome by the drama of the world when I know who has overcome the world. It steadies my feet. So how do I fit my feet with the sandals of peace. And it's, it's really simple. And that's what we'll see about this, the armor of God. It's really simple. To fit my feet with a gospel um, of peace just means it's, it's a practice of carrying my fear and carrying my anxiety into the presence of God and saying, would you remind me what's true in the gospel? It's carrying my worry and carrying my fear into the presence of God, look at what it says in Philippians chapter 4, um, verse 6 and 7. Uh, verse 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything. And by the way, this is saying do not let anxiety overcome you about anything. But here's the antidote. Instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Present your requests to the Lord. Present whatever it is that may be causing fear, or may be causing panic, or may be causing anxiety. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, there it is, which transcends all understanding, which transcends all the chaos of this world, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus. It's, it's the process of taking whatever is worrying you in the world or in the news or in your family into his presence, presenting it to him. It doesn't mean things aren't painful. It doesn't mean we aren't scared. It doesn't mean that we don't worry. It just means we don't live there. It just means we don't stay there. It means we lift our eyes from whatever it is into the presence of God and say, would you please remind me what's true in, in the gospel? Um, every now and then, I, uh, I enjoy going for a run in the Winona trails. If you've never done it, try it. Uh, and that might be hard to believe, but it's true. Every now and then I'll do that. Um, something I enjoy, particularly when the weather is nice uh, like it is now. And inevitably, while I'm running out there, I'll run into one of you people. And uh, by you people, um, I mean dog owners. Um, um, so I'll be running, and then I'll see a dog heading in my direction. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little scared of dogs. And so my blood pressure starts to rise. Um, I start to feel a little panic in my soul. Because I don't know this dog. I don't trust it. I don't know its heart or its intentions. It could be up to no good. I don't know. And so inevitably what I'll do is I will stop, uh, scream like a child on the inside, and uh, look at the dog, and then I will look at the owner, and inevitably I'll say the same thing every single time. Am I okay? Am I all right? <laughs> and you know what's the most annoying thing? Is how... <laughs> you people will respond to this. Like, people will say to me like, oh my goodness, you're totally fine, she's harmless. Like, how am I supposed to know she's harmless as she charges me frothing at the mouth? Well, at least that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> she's harmless, like I should have known better or something like this. Ah, she's fine, keep on running. That's all I keep on running. The gospel of peace. Gospel of peace. It doesn't mean we're not afraid. It doesn't mean we don't panic. It doesn't mean things don't get scary because we might see a headline or something in the world might freak us out. And what this is inviting us to is the practice of stopping, looking at that thing, letting the blood pressure rise in us, and then raising our gaze above the frothing situation to the God above it all and saying, am I still all right? And inevitably, God would say, oh, not, keep going, keep running, keep charging the darkness. I've got this. It may seem like the world is off its leash. It may seem like the world is spinning off its axis. But I've got that sucker in my hands. And more importantly, I'm holding you in my hand. Keep going. Peace has a way of steadying me. If I learn to carry it, too. 
the Lord. But the gospel of peace not only steadies me, it also readies me to carry that same gospel offer of peace to the people um, in a world of chaos. Look at what verse 15 says again. Verse 15 says, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It doesn't just bring steadiness, it brings readiness. It's not just that I'm at peace with God and I experience the peace of God, but it readies me to carry and offer peace for God to the people around me. I'm the guy in the trails telling everybody else, like, oh my goodness, he's totally got this. And I wonder if we don't tend to offer peace because we are not experiencing it. We've gotten in the practice of freaking out and panicking and, 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 you know, tweeting and whatever else we do with our fear and panic instead of carrying it to him and saying, remind me what is true in the gospel, that you've got this. Because when that happens, uh, we become agents who offer peace more meaningfully. And then we talked about the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 16. The next verse says this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now again, for the Roman soldier, this uh, four-foot shield protected him from the enemy's attempt to threaten him into retreating Um, by launching an aerial assault of arrows from a distance. And it's the same with us. As we start to carry peace, as we start to carry and offer hope, as we start to push into the darkness, the devil is going to start to get anxious. Because he knows he cannot stop a church that is moving forward carrying hope and moving forward carrying peace. So he launches an aerial assault to derail us or to discourage us from a distance. And his strategy is usually intimidation. He'll usually try and throw every threat at you, and he knows you. That's why it uses the word he schemes. There is a profile written about you. He schemes. The word, by the way, is the idea of he investigates you to figure you out. Meaning, he knows what terrifies you. He's really good at you. And he intimidates, he threatens by using whatever he knows we fear most. If you keep going, if you keep pressing, If you keep stepping into the brokenness and if you keep carrying hope to the hurting, I am going to or you will lose. And he will name the thing that triggers your fear. And his intention is to get you to pause in the trails and say, I'm going to stop running now. In fact, I'm going to go to the exit to intimidate us into retreating. And he knows, he knows for some of you, it's your health. 
Anything that even seems like it'll risk you, you're not getting on a plane if there's even a threat that some disease might possibly be inching towards that place God may be calling you to carry peace. You're like, mm-mm. And he's like, great. Let that frothing dog keep you at home. For some of you, it's your reputation. Like, man, I would offer peace to the friends at school, but they will start to mock me, and I'm really cool, and I don't want to lose, you know, any Twitter followers, and so I'm just not going to do it. He knows what scares you. He knows it's your portfolio. He knows it's your promotion. He knows that it's your comfort. He knows it's your sense of security, and he will start to fire arrows if you keep going, your security. If you keep helping the hurting, do you realize what might happen to the nation? If you keep, and it will cause us to back up. The shield of faith is the piece of armor that renders the devil's threats ineffective. And it's amazing how it works. Because faith in the Bible is the choice to do what God says, even when it's senseless and scary. If you're not doing anything senseless and scary for God, you may not be exercising the faith muscle. Even when it's senseless and scary, it's to step into it still. So taking up the shield of faith means continuing to carry hope and peace and light and love, especially when there is something to lose, especially when it seems scary. What shadows the arrows of the enemy is actually you taking a step forward. It's counterintuitive. The shield of faith, faith being doing what's scary because God calls me to, which again makes the belt of truth so essential. What does God call me to? What does God say? And you take a step forward. What silences the threat is the defiance. What drives out fear is love. It's counterintuitive. The shield is not what helps me to move forward. The shield is literally the act of stepping forward. So I'm going to step forward still. So let's practice this together. Since some of you look a little sleepy, why don't we stand? I mean, wherever you are, stand. If you're physically able, why don't you get up on your feet? We are going to have a step step in the name of love practice right now. Right? And it's really simple. You don't have much space in front of you, so you don't need to be creative. You don't need to have rhythm. You just need to know how to put one foot in front of the other, even in the slightest of ways. This is the shield of faith. God is calling this church, God is calling you to be part of carrying hope into the darkest of places. And the enemy is going to try and intimidate you. And so right now, I want us to practice just saying... I'm going to step still. Now, you don't have to say that. Let me say that, especially not in my high-pitched tone. (laughs) But I just want you to practice. Just take a step forward. That's it. Just the slightest step forward. Shield of faith. Woo! And that slight sound issues warning to the enemy that church is coming. We are not backing up. We are not retreating. Why don't you take a step back so we can do this one more time, right? So on the count of three, just take a small step forward. One, two, three. That's the shield of faith. 
it's in the midst of the thing that scares you most, saying God has called me to carry light and God has called me to speak to my family. God has called me to talk to people at school. God has called me to show love to people in dangerous places. I'm going to take the step still. All right, there's no shield of faith or there's no armor that, you know, goes with sitting down. But let's sit down nonetheless. Um, um, Man, that's a good thing to practice. Whenever you even start to sense the devil's scaring and things seem intimidating and I'm starting to back away from what I believe the Lord is calling me to, just take a step. And for too many of us, I think we've not taken the shield of faith because anytime things get threatening, we back up and that's the time to take a step forward. And then we talked last week about the sword of the spirit. Um, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the most powerful weapon in bringing down the gates of hell, the most powerful weapon in pushing back the darkness, the most powerful weapon in seeing hope introduced into hopeless places is the word of God. And more specifically, it's the word of God spoken by the people of God into situations in which darkness seems to be having its way. It's the word of God spoken by the people of God into places where sin and Satan seem to be keeping people from living in fullness and living in freedom. The word of God. Taking up the sword of the spirit means speaking what God says. Speaking. The church speaking what God says into that situation. It's not so much about reading the word of God. It's not so much about knowing the word of God as much as it is about are you speaking the word of God into that darkness, into that brokenness, into that situation. Because it doesn't matter how many Bibles you have in your house. It doesn't matter how many versions you have on your phone. It doesn't matter how much scripture you have memorized in your head. It doesn't push back darkness. It doesn't break chains. It doesn't offer forgiveness until you speak it. So the sword of the spirit is the church speaking the word of God. What does he say? And you speak what he says about racism and sexism. And you speak what he says about sin. And you speak what he says about human trafficking and forgiveness or whatever it is that he says to that darkness or to that thing that's keeping people back from life because we can talk about change and revival and breakthrough but it's only where the word of God is spoken that freedom and revival breaks out and then Paul closes this section of scripture with a powerful appeal which is where we want to close this series and he says to pray in the spirit he calls for prayer in the spirit Um, Now, Paul doesn't connect this um, um, practice to a particular piece of armor, but he's clearly not broken from the armor of God's thought. So this should be considered a part of uh, the armor of God. He says in verse 18 of chapter 6, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray in the Spirit. 
Now, uh, the idea of, of praying in the Spirit can be a tricky idea. In fact, in the church, it can be a pretty controversial idea because it can mean a variety of different things. But listen, I don't think there's any need to complicate when Paul has demystified what he means by this because he said in just the previous verse, he said, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And now he says, pray in the Spirit. What Paul means in this context by pray in the Spirit is pray the Word of God. Sword of the Spirit, Word of God. Prayer in the Spirit, he's saying, pray the Word of God. There is nothing more powerful than when God's people pray back to God what God has said. Nothing more powerful. Again, the belt of truth holds it all together because now I'm not just saying what God says to the people around me. I am praying what God says back to him. Nothing more powerful. Than that. And that may seem silly unless you're a parent. My kids are experts at this. They know that in our old age, um, our memory is becoming more and more porous. And they will use this against us. It is borderline fascinating if it wasn't so infuriating a lot of the time. So our kids will be chowing down on chocolate right before dinner, by the pound. And we are just frustrated muttering to ourselves because they got us. And we know they got us. We just don't remember how. Okay, no, 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 mom. You said last week, you said that this week that we could have a treat. Chocolate, I believe you said, right before dinner. Did she not? Yeah, you said that. And my wife is like, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. I don't remember saying that way. You didn't or you don't remember. I don't remember saying that. That doesn't sound like something I would say. Well, do you know for sure that you didn't say it? No, dad, were you there? I wasn't there. I, was, I didn't hear this conversation. Okay, you guys have taught us to never go back on our words. So if you guys go back on your, well, we just sound like something we would say, but we don't want to run the risk of going back on our words. It's chocolate. And then our kids are ODing in a corner. And we're like, what just happened to us? What just happened to us? Because our kids know there is no more effective way to get what they want than to use our own words against us. You said, I'm just saying, are you going to disagree with yourself now? You know, like, no, I'm not going to disagree with myself. Were you right then or are you wrong now? Like, oh, uh. Prayer in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is God's kids learning the art of going to him and saying, Dad, you said... It's not so much what I feel. This is not so much my opinion. You said in your logos, and I just want to remind you of what you said. And here's the thing. God has a really hard time disagreeing with himself. And if God said something, God will be good for the thing he said. There is something powerful that happens when my prayers start to line up with what God said in his Word. Another reason why I ought to know the Word of God. And Paul says, pray in the Spirit. Pray God's words back to him on 
all occasions, about a variety of things, particularly when it comes to the darkness in the world around you. And you can see it as he closes this chapter, and he says, please pray for me that when I speak the word, it would come with power, and it would do its damage, even in the prison in which I now am. It's praying the word of God back to him. In fact, we want to close by taking some time to do that right now in two particular ways um, I would love us to consider this number one is just the idea of direction prayers this is the kind of prayer um, that many of us need it's the kind of prayer when we're in a situation where we may be stirred up and we realize the Lord is calling me to carry dark uh, to carry light into the darkness to carry his peace into the restlessness to carry hope into the hopelessness I know he is but I don't know where to start and I don't know exactly what to do there are 50,000 people unchurched in our county. Where do I begin? There are millions of kids in this world unwanted. Should we take one in? How do we get involved in the orphan crisis? I don't know what to do. There are people at work I know who are hurting. My roommate is heading down a destructive path. God, where do I start? I don't know where to start. And we need his direction. Paul would say, pray in the spirit. And that's where some of us might be this morning there are so many broken things in the world around us and we're not sure where he's calling us to enter in we need his direction we need his direction and god says um james chapter 1 verse 5 look at what he says this is his words if any of you lacks wisdom you need direction you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you god you said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Another version says he will direct your paths. God, I'm submitting my ways to you. Would you please direct me? Show me what you want me to do. Some of us feel so overwhelmed that we stop and we don't keep moving forward. Some of us feel so, you know, guilty or whatever it is and we end up doing too many things and we want prayer for direction so that we might be precise with his words we might be precise with where we're carrying light into the darkness and so um i would love for us to just look up on the screen at this simple prayer and if that's you you're not sure what situations uh to bring light to just take a second um we have this prayer go up on the screens, and you can just read it. Um, God, you said, if I ask for wisdom, you would give it. And I'm asking for wisdom and trusting you will say yes. It's this simple. I want to just give you a quick second to pray this prayer. And Lord, we trust that you say yes to giving your direction. That even now, you're going to start to specify to us where it is you want us to go. And I pray that, Lord, we would be willing, even if it's hard or scary, to pick up the shield and move in that direction. Uh, but maybe for some of us, it's, it's not direction we need. It's, it's demolition. We need some demolition prayer. And, uh, you know, that's the prayer I pray when I've 
tried everything and I don't know what else to try and the strongholds just won't move. Uh, the borders just won't seem to back up that are keeping someone I love um, caged away from life in Jesus. And maybe you feel helpless because those chains of addiction that you're aware of just won't break. No matter what you've tried, no matter how many times you've helped, no matter how much you've pleaded, the walls of pride just won't come down. The debilitating depression just won't let up. That self-harm just won't stop. Paul would say, pray in the spirit. Not just your desire. Don't just pray your desperation. Pray back to God what he has said about those strongholds. And it says about Jesus in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I love that. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Whoever may be brokenhearted in your world, to proclaim freedom from the captive, whoever may be captive in your world, release from darkness for the prisoner. Jesus says, that's who I am. That's why I came into this world. And, and praying in the spirit is, Jesus, would you please speak that word of freedom to that situation? Because none of us can do anything about it. But you said, that's why you came. First John 3 verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Please demolish what the devil is doing in that situation. You said that's why you came. Jesus, you said, and I'm so tired of seeing that hurt and that brokenness, and I'm so tired of seeing that bondage and that stronghold. You said that's why you came, and we're just praying back what you said. And for some of us, that's the prayer we need to walk out on. And here's a simple version of this prayer. Jesus, you said that you came to demolish the work of the devil. So would you please do that for my friend, for my sister, for my uncle, for my co-workers, sickness, for my co-workers, addiction, for my, you know, my, my child's whatever it might be. We want to pray this. So I'm going to give you a quick second, and then I'll close us as we wrap. Lord, it's amazing what you call us to. And uh, Lord, when it's all said and done, it's you who pushes back the darkness. You often use us. But we do pray that you would give us wisdom, you give us direction for where you're calling us to step into those places. And we do pray, Lord, that for the situations in the world around us, whatever the situation, that darkness seems to be winning that we would pray your word back to you. And not just about this. You say on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. So whatever it is, Lord, just remind us to pray back to you what you say, which is another reason why we pray you would make us a church that loves your word, a church that knows your word so that we can be driven by it, so that we can believe it and what you say about us, so that we can live in enjoying it, so we can offer it to others, so we can speak it out loud, and so that we can pray it back to you. Your armor is really about us loving and living out your word. 
So, Lord, may the darkness be pushed back in us and may the darkness be pushed back around us this year because we've worn the armor of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.